You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another new episode and a new week of Locked On Rockets, your home for podcast analysis of all things Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent for Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship in Houston. As we chat on this evening of Tuesday, September 11th in Houston, we are still in the dog days of the NBA calendar, about 10 to 14 days away from media day and the opening of training camp, still awaiting confirmation whether it comes at the end of next week or at the beginning of the following week, but sometime between September 20th and the 25th is when the Rockets will officially kick off their 2018-2019 campaign, leading up to the preseason opener in early October and the regular season opener on October 17th, a Wednesday night at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. So because we're in this slow period, we don't hear a lot from the team these days because for most of them, it's the final few days of any sort of significance that they have with their friends and family for months. Of course, they'll see them during the regular season, but in terms of extended time away from basketball, This is it. So while, yes, they're working out, we saw the Rockets in the Bahamas last week, we know they're doing some things this week, still getting ready in Houston, staying in shape. By and large, aside from those things they have to do physically, they're spending their time with their friends, their families, in their personal lives so that they're, you know, ready to go mentally 100% once media day and training camp gets here in a couple of weeks. So based on those factors... Those of us in the media take a back seat for the time being, and it's understandable as to why. That said, there are a few exceptions to that, and fortunately, today was one of those where we heard from Rockets GM Daryl Morey, and that's what we're going to be breaking down throughout today's show. Now, Daryl Morey, along with CEO Tad Brown, rookie guard Rob Gray, Rockets legend Elvin Hayes, they all participated in a community day of service. Basically, every September 11th, the Rockets go around to a number of local fire and police stations, visiting with first responders, those types of things. It's something the Rockets have done really ever since the tragic events of September 11th, 2001. It's a really cool gesture the Rockets continue to do each year. But as part of that, the Rockets do have a media availability where, of course, they speak about the service aspects, but those of us in the media are also allowed to ask them about other aspects, most notably the basketball. And in the case of the Rockets, while it's normally a slow time of the year, it has not been of late because... Well, we know the trade that broke in late August, the Rockets sending Ryan Anderson and rookie guard DeAnthony Melton to Phoenix for Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris. Now, one of the curious things about that trade is that we didn't hear much from Daryl Morey immediately following it. And there were some conspiratorial reasons you might could point to, because Daryl Morey usually welcomes guys via a tweet or some sort of social media post with the highlight clips, those types of things. And so it's fair to wonder... Were there issues with the physical in terms of Brandon Knight coming off a torn ACL? Was there something that they were waiting on there before announcing and really celebrating the move in terms of welcoming them to the Rockets? Was there another trade to come down the pike? Because whether Brandon Knight is a fit or not for the Rockets, look, his $15 million salary, it's similar to Ryan Anderson's $20 million salary when he was here. 
at least part of the role is down the road, those guys could be used as filler to make the math work in trades to get you something you might want a little bit more, specifically if they need another 3 and D wing after James Ennis, after losing both Trevor Ariza and Luke Mute this offseason. That said, the silence obviously did not have to mean there was something askew. It could be something as simple as what we let off saying, which is that, look, Daryl's trying to spend time with his friends and family. There's just no required media availabilities, and there's no reason for him to uh, be on social media or interact with the media until, well, the regular season gets here, and then he has to on a regular basis because that's how this thing works. Anyway, at Tuesday's day of service, we did hear from him today. There's lots of videos courtesy of Mark Berman over at Fox 26 and Kelly Eco now at The Athletic. If you want to check out their Twitter pages, Mark at Mark Berman Fox 26, Kelly at Kelly Eco NBA. You can see videos on a lot of different Rocket subjects involving Daryl Morey, Tad Brown, Rob Gray, etc., etc. But for today's show, I'm going to lead with playing you a clip of Morey breaking down Knight and Chris, because that to me is the biggest takeaway. We did hear from Daryl Morey today, welcoming Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, talking about what they bring to the Rockets. So no, there's no other shoe about to drop in terms of some concern with the physical or the medicals or in terms of an of a immediate trade on the horizon. No, there is a role, at least for now, for Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris in Houston. And here's what Daryl Morey had to say about it today. Thank you typical kind of acquisition we try to do we feel like these guys have been in uh you know they can be optimized in our system with coach coach d'antoni brandon's a guy who's a near elite uh three-point shooter and marquise is a guy uh in mike's mike's offense who can roll and finish at the rim and very athletic we feel like he's underrated as well Again, that's Daryl Morey, GM of the Rockets. Comments captured at the Rockets' day of service by Mark Berman of Fox 26 here in Houston. For full commentary, go to Mark's Twitter page, at MarkBermanFox26. Now, in terms of what Daryl said, he didn't speak for very long, but there were some interesting takeaways. I'll start with Marquis Chris, because that, to me, is a little more straightforward. He mentioned the potential as a rim runner. It's pretty clear to me what the role for Marquise Chris is here in Houston. Now, I do think they're going to want to evaluate him very early on in training camp and the preseason because by October 31st, they do have a decision to make whether to pick up the fourth-year option in his contract. Again, lottery pick in 2016, so whether it's worth it to pick up the final year of his existing deal, they do want to get a sense of what he has to give them early. But in terms of his role, it's fairly straightforward. Look, the minutes at the backup five behind Clint Capella, if it's a more power-oriented matchup, you have Nene. If it's a more athletic option, then that's where Marquise Chris could presumably come in. I think kind of how they had Brandon Wright ticketed last year after picking him up before, of course, the knee injury sideline Wright when they weren't expecting it. But Marquise Chris, 6'10", 21-year-old, young, big man, largely underwhelming, but still serviceable since entering the NBA coming out of that 2016 draft. He's more athletic than Nene. He gives you options, and based on who you're playing, you could use Chris as your backup five. You could use Nene. You have young prospects and Isaiah Hartenstein and Joe Chi, and you also have your small ball options in terms of P.J. Tucker, even Carmelo Anthony, and some of those hybrid lineups that we see Mike D'Antoni try from time to time. So with Chris, it's fairly straightforward. We know on paper what he can bring in terms of his skills as a rim runner and a Mike D'Antoni scheme. You can go all the way back to the days that he had Amari Stoudemire and see the potential role for those guys. It's just a matter of waiting for training camp in the preseason to get here and to see what Chris can show. To me, the commentary on Brandon Knight is a little more interesting because it's harder to see the exact role. And that's why some of us have wondered, since the deal was struck, 
Was it primarily for trade considerations? And to be clear, that could still be a part of the calculus here, because Brandon Knight at 26 years old, making $15 million a year, that's more palatable for a lot of NBA teams than Ryan Anderson at 30 years old, making $20 million a year through 2020. So there is a slight advantage, and he is going to be more attractive, at least a little bit, around the league in terms of trade offers. That said, if the Rockets were to keep Brandon Knight, where would his minutes come from? That's been the key question. Do the Rockets see a basketball fit, or is it just about the trade? These comments from Daryl Morey suggest that they do see a potential basketball fit. And it's interesting because this past year, you look at where the minutes are going to come from in the rotation. We know that what went to Ryan Anderson will largely now go to Carmelo Anthony. I think we can say that in terms of the losses of Ariza and Bahamute, James Ennis will replace one of those guys. But then after that, the Rockets didn't really bring in another proven 3 and D replacement. Now, they did bring in Michael Carter-Williams, who has more length than most guards. They brought back Gerald Green. And now you added Brandon Knight, but none of them fit the same mold as you had a year ago. So if the Rockets are going to play one or more of those guys in the rotation, then you have to do things a little bit differently than you did on this 65-win juggernaut from a year ago. And with Knight, it's particularly interesting because you look at a guy who... While he's a combo guard at six foot three, he spent a lot of his NBA career at the point guard position. And look, when the Rockets are healthy, all 48 minutes at the point guard spot are accounted for by either Chris Paul or James Harden. And you can go further than that and say all 96 minutes at the backcourt spots are occupied when healthy by Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon. So on paper, it's a little bit of a curious fit. But there are ways around that. Now, for starters, you can use him as injury insurance for Chris Paul, as we saw in the playoffs last year and at times throughout the regular season. It is important to have a fourth guard that you can trust. But beyond that, even when someone is healthy, there are ways that in Mike D'Antoni's scheme, which especially offensively, is less position dependent than certain others in, in that you have point guards, you have shooting wings, and you have rim runners. And Brandon Knight, even though he's a little undersized, if he can shoot well, you can play him. And there's lots of different ways you can do it. For example, we discussed on one of last week's shows about the potential of playing Eric Gordon more at the three spot, which is something they did perhaps with surprising success going back to the Western Conference Finals. Now they closed out games with the three-guard lineup of Paul, Harden, and Gordon against the Warriors. So the point is, there are some minutes you can free up at the guard spot if Brandon Knight proves worthy of being a rotation player. And yes, we know that he's never been a good defensive player, and that was before the ACL issue, and it's unlikely that now entering his seventh NBA season that he's going to magically become a different guy on the defensive end of the floor. That said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And while he might be exploited in certain playoff matchups, if you put him out there too often, the Rockets are not a finished product. They can make trades by the deadline in February. They are well-positioned with most of the mid-level exception once buyouts happen. So with Brandon Knight, it doesn't necessarily have to be that your role for him in October is your role in April, May, and June. It could just be that this is someone you could use as a band-aid to help you get through the 82-game grind if he's healthy and if he's capable of playing. And it was very interesting to me to hear Gerald Morey refer to him as a near-elite shooter, which is interesting on a couple of levels. First, it's telling that the first thing they refer to is shooting, because even though he's played point guard, he doesn't have to. And of course, in Houston, assuming health, Chris Paul and James Harden are going to be the primary facilitators. So it does show you that they're thinking of him off the ball, despite the way he's played for a large portion of his NBA career. Secondly, and perhaps more interestingly, you would not look at Brandon Knight's career numbers and think, wow, this is a good shooter. 
because, or, or an appreciably good one. Now, obviously, he's solid for his career. He's 35.7% from three, which is average, maybe slightly above it. But in Phoenix, he's been worse than that. And again, he's coming off an ACL tear. But sometimes it pays to do a little more digging and to look at roles. And when you look at the last couple of years that he spent in Phoenix, I'm not counting this past season because he didn't even play coming off the ACL tear, but the two years before that, those were terrible Phoenix teams. Yes, he shot 34% and 32.4% from three. Those teams won 23 and 24 games, which tells you there weren't many creators, there weren't many open shots, and for someone like Knight, one of the only creators they had, he was probably having to force some looks, which artificially deflated his numbers a little bit. You go back to the last time he was on a competent team, which was back in the 2014-2015 season with the Milwaukee Bucks. Ironically, then he was traded at the deadline for Michael Carter-Williams, I think, in part for the Bucks, even though Knight was playing well, it was that he was going to be entering restricted free agency and they didn't know how much they could commit to him in terms of long-term salary. Also, the Bucks were then coached by Jason Kidd. I think he liked Michael Carter-Williams because Michael Carter-Williams more of a diverse overall game in terms of length, rebounding, those types of things at the point guard spot, reminiscent of Jason Kidd when he played a decade or more ago. At his peak, that is. Anyway, as far as Knight, you look at the numbers. That 2014-2015 season he played with the Bucks, and yes, Greek Freak was with them back then. That was the last time that Knight played in the playoff team and had some competent players around him. He shot 40.9% from three on 4.9 attempts per game. So no, it's not a small sample size. Nearly five attempts per game, and he shot over 40%. And then you go back further than that. His first two years in the league in Detroit, he shot 38% and nearly 37% from three. So in three of his first four years, and those were some of the more competent teams he played on, he shot basically 37% or better, punctuated by that nearly 41% mark in the 2015 season with the Milwaukee Bucks. And inside those numbers, you go even further, you can find, and this is courtesy of Karthik Prasad, my friend, aka Stanford KP on Twitter, he made 45% of his wide open threes. Now you transfer that to Houston, in which he's not going to be having to handle the ball that much. He gets to play off the ball. And when you have Chris Paul and James Harden distributing, you're going to get more open looks than he's probably ever had his NBA career. You can see what the Rockets might like there. So yes, it's been a while. And for his career numbers, especially his last couple of seasons in Phoenix, you wouldn't look at Brandon Knight and say, wow, this guy looks like a shooter. But if you look a little bit deeper, you can see what the Rockets like in terms of spacing the floor. We know that's always a primary consideration around James Harden and Chris Paul. There is a track record there. And for those wanting to make sense of Brandon Knight, beyond just the trade value component and what could he bring if he sticks with the Rockets, that to me is a pretty telling comment from Daryl Morey. Well, first it's telling that he addressed Knight at all, which is proof that there's nothing on the immediate horizon. But beyond that, in terms of his value as a shooter, another comment we heard later from Daryl referring to Mike D'Antoni is that D'Antoni actually likes this year's team more than last year's in terms of the talent. So to sum up, yes, there is a potential role for Brandon Knight. You might have to squint to see it, but I think we started to see what it could be from Daryl Morey today and going forward. It's just a matter of how it plays out once we get to training camp and the preseason. Now, beyond Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, we did hear Gerald discuss the team as a whole as well. We got some insight on Carmelo, as we've said in the past, the Rockets think that putting him around 
their culture, their star players, and James Harden and Chris Paul can get more out of him than what we've seen the last couple of years in New York and Oklahoma City. If you want video of that, then you can check out, again, either Mark Berman or Kelly Eco's timelines on Twitter. I'm not going to play those comments because, look, we've been discussing Carmelo forever. I think at this point, any more Carmelo talk is overkill. It's just about seeing how it works out on the floor once training camp starts in the next week or two. The more interesting thing I heard from Daryl today was about the team as a whole, and specifically that trip to the Bahamas last week that served as the training camp before the training camp to get these guys integrated, not just the returning players from this past year's team, but also the newcomers. Now, Knight and Chris did that go because they were still finishing the medical process. We know they were in Houston in the middle of last week to get checked out. But aside from those guys, Carmelo, James Ennis, and some of the young players like Isaiah Hartenstein, Rob Gray, Vince Edwards, those types were all there to start this process of integration before training camp so that really when training camp gets there, look, you're going to be well inside of a month until the regular season begins. So it's not like training camp you can expect to just throw these pieces together and then in about three weeks be ready to play regular season basketball games, especially for the Rockets who have largely a tough schedule, opening with the Pelicans, led by Anthony Davis, playoff team from this past year, and then going to LA to face LeBron James and the Lakers in his Laker debut at Staples Center in a primetime game on Saturday night, October 20th. So while those of us in the media have not gotten to see how those Bahamas workouts went, Daryl Borey, who was down there, certainly got a first-hand look, and he described it today not just in terms of what happened on the floor, but the process of what led to that trip, the importance of it, and I think it shed some pretty unique insight on the Rockets' culture, the leadership, Chris Paul, James Harden, etc., etc. Anyway, here's what Daryl had to say. Yeah, no, the, the guys all got together, the whole team together, uh, working out. They're up, they're here this week working out as well. Uh, we're excited about the, the new players. Uh, you know, we got Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, and then obviously, uh, you know, we got James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Michael Carter-Williams. We're, we're excited about the what's, come, what's coming this year. What did you see over there? What did you think when you watched it? I was at, I was super impressed. I mean, I think we have a group that they've accomplished everything. We have three future Hall of Famers, and the only thing they have left is to win a ring. They're all very, very focused, and I think being as close as we were last year, we were a, a hamstring away, really uh, really makes these guys even more motivated. You know, how impressive is that, that, the turnout you had, and how important is that stuff, the bonding trip over the Bahamas? I, th I think it's really critical. Uh, and the fact, you know, the players put it all together themselves. It just shows how they just have one singular mission and one goal this year to win a championship. Again, that audio courtesy of Mark Berman of Fox 26 here at Houston. For the full interview and more commentary from the Rockets today, go to his Twitter timeline, at Mark Berman, Fox 26. As far as what Daryl had to say there, he didn't mention in terms of the culture aspects any players by name. But it doesn't take a genius to figure out that when it comes to the players organizing it and not the team, yes, it's led by James Harden because the MVP of the league, it's his franchise for the foreseeable future. And personally, it makes me feel very good about James Harden because it answers a question I raised on one of last week's shows, which is how is he going to handle success? Now, he hasn't gotten the ultimate success in terms of a championship ring, but aside from that, last season was by far his best with the Rockets and the NBA. He finally got his MVP award. The team won the most games of any in the league. They got to the Western Conference Finals, and as Daryl said, were a hamstring away from winning it. It was truly a great year. And, of course, after the season, James got his MVP trophy. We've seen a few celebratory events this summer. And 
All that's deserved. James should be celebrated. It was a remarkable year last season, both for James individually and the Rockets as a team. That said, to continue that and furthermore to build on that because you're still trying to dethrone the Warriors and get that first ring of this era under James Harden, you've got to be as focused as you were before. We've seen that when James Harden feels slighted, coming off the 41-41 and 41 year, losing Dwight Howard, some wondered if the Rockets would even make the playoffs. They won 55 games, three seed in the West, led by Mike D'Antoni, coach of the year, and challenged the Spurs in round two. Then this past year, even after adding Chris Paul, there was a lot of doubt. Some thought that the Thunder were better positioned than the Rockets as a contender, the top threat to knock down the Warriors, and instead the Rockets built off that 55 one year and won 65. The integration between Harden and Paul was largely seamless, and they used the doubters as fuel. We saw them do it throughout the season. We heard them do that. And really, the first Western Conference Finals season, you go all the way back to 2014-2015, that was coming off the first-round disappointment in which they lost in six games to the Trailblazers on the Lillard buzzer shot. Harden came into that next training camp in the best shape of his career to that point. His defense noticeably got better. And even though Dwight Howard missed half the year, the Rockets still won 56 games. They were the second-best team in the West in the regular season. And then that carried over into the playoffs, in which they beat the Clippers in the second round and got to the Western Conference Finals. And even though they lost in five games, they were pretty competitive with the Warriors in that series, a 67-win team that went on to win the NBA title. So we've seen that when James Harden feels slighted, that he uses that as fuel in the offseason and comes in ready to go. And those have also been some of his best defensive seasons. If there's one question about James Harden... It's how he handles success, because the moments that have been underwhelming, the year after they signed Dwight Howard and they were celebrated as the next big thing in the NBA that offseason, 2013-2014, I mentioned that year that ended in the Lillard buzzer beater, that was Harden's worst defensive year in Houston. That was when a lot of those vines were created. He wasn't in shape. He wasn't ready to go. Then, coming off that first Western Conference Finals appearance that we were just discussing that next year, that was the 41-41 and year. And not all of it was on Harden not being focused in the offseason. Yes, I know there was the whole Kardashian thing. He also suffered an ankle sprain, which put him behind the eight ball in terms of conditioning. They also had the Kevin McHale drama, those types of things. Those considerations are very real. It's not just that Harden was not focused or whatever. But regardless of the reason, sometimes perception can be reality, especially in today's NBA. And the perception is that... James Harden came in not ready to go, and the same could be said for the Rockets as a team. We know they got off to that 4-7 and start, led to McHale's dismissal, and they never really found themselves that entire season, again, finishing 41-41, and then losing in the first round of the playoffs to the Warriors. It's certainly not that James Harden was bad in those seasons. He was still really, really good, clearly a top-10 NBA player, maybe a top-5, but he wasn't as top-of-the-line as he was this past year when he won MVP, or when he was a runner-up to Steph Curry in 2015 and Russell Westbrook in 2017. Those versions of James Harden were clearly top three in the world, and maybe even the best over 82 games, even over the likes of LeBron James and Kevin Durant. James Harden has been that good. And part of his struggles, and when I say struggles, it's all relative, you could point to the fact that, look, he's young. He's been a guy in his mid to upper 20s who we've seen grow up. Well, now he's 29 years old. He's right smack dab in the prime of his NBA career, and we should see a more mature James Harden, and that's what I think we've seen the last two years. The question is, does that continue even after a season in which, again, they didn't win the ring, but other than that, they accomplished everything and then some that anyone expected of them. Is that maturation process going to continue? And to see the Rockets at it in the Bahamas, to see them, as Daryl said, at it this week in Houston getting ready, 
I think that speaks to what we were hoping to see this past week, which is that the James Harden we've seen these past couple of years, even though he's being celebrated this offseason, yes, he still has that edge. He still has that cutthroat tenacity, that killer instinct to keep getting better and push the Rockets to the top of that mountain to finally dethrone the Warriors. Now, we've spent the first couple of segments of the show discussing the players who are here and Daryl Morey's thoughts on those issued today at the Rockets' day of service, which Daryl, Tad Brown, and a few other members of the organization were present at as part of the September 11th anniversary. That said, with Daryl Morey, it's never about just who's here now. It's also the potential of what could happen down the road. So in his comments, again, captured by Mark Berman of Fox 26 in Houston and Kelly Eco of The Athletic, of course, he spoke plenty about what's going on this summer. We just got done talking about the Bahamas trip, the role of leaders like James Harden and Chris Paul in orchestrating that. And beyond that, his thoughts on the newest Rockets being Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight, the big man and veteran guard most recently with the Phoenix Suns. But with Daryl, until he gets the ring, and maybe not even then, he's always thinking ahead. What needs to happen moving forward to keep this team at a championship level and get it finally to the point where you can take down the Warriors? And one theme we've heard throughout this offseason is that the roster that you have to start training camp, to start the regular season, that's not necessarily the roster you're going to have to end the season in April when you're trying to really optimize your roster and make sure you're in the best place going into the playoffs and to be able to finish the job against the Warriors in a way you couldn't this past season. To that point, Daryl was asked by the media today whether the Rockets roster was done or if there was still fine-tuning to be done. The question was specifically asked about training camp, but Daryl's answer was interesting because he talked not just about what could happen in the next week or two in terms of getting ready for camp the preseason, the start of the regular season, but also what could happen down the road in the regular season and by playoff time next April. Here's what Daryl had to say. You never seem to be ever done do you, is there any fine-tuning left for you to do prior to camp? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, there's always, when you're trying to win a title, there's always fine-tuning. You can always get better. Uh, we, we, we have all our draft picks going forward, so if something presents itself that allows us to make a trade to improve the team, we're not going to hesitate to do that. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people try to make their team perfect from day one. We try to add a bunch of players we think can contribute and then, tweak it as you go down the season and hopefully uh, peak in, in April as we go into the playoffs. Good comments from Daryl Morey there. Again, if you want the full videos and further analysis, go to the Twitter timelines of Kelly Eco NBA or Mark Berman Fox 26. Those are, again, Kelly Eco of The Athletic and Mark Berman of Fox 26 here in Houston. Now, as far as my analysis of what Daryl said, to me, it brings this all full circle, going back to those initial comments about Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, because the biggest thing that I see from that is that there's no move on the immediate horizon. Yes, we did see Daryl Morey on Instagram with Corey Brewer yesterday, although I have not been told that there's anything imminent with that, and personally, I'm not expecting it. The Rockets have a fairly deep roster already. We also know the Rockets are a luxury tax team, which means that every roster spot beyond just the minimum contract does carry an additional charge for Tillman Fertitta. So I don't expect the Rockets to sign someone just to fill a roster spot, just to have someone. They would do it if there's a need, but it might be something that lingers into the season. So yes, while there is an Instagram of Daryl Morey with Corey Brewer, I wouldn't necessarily read anything into that. The Rockets do 
put a big priority generally on maintaining quality relationships around the entire NBA, especially with their former players, because, well, you never know if there might be a situation where those guys come back. We saw that with Trevor Ariza, who, of course, had one stint early in Daryl Morey's time in Houston and then came back, just wrapped up a very successful second four-year stint in which he was an even better fit this time than he was the prior time. As far as what Daryl directly said in his commentary, though, it's pretty clear that for him, it's not just about the next couple of weeks. It's about getting ready by April. We heard that they kept their draft picks, and that ties back into something we said immediately after the Ryan Anderson train, which the sweetener to take on that Ryan Anderson contract is rookie guard DeAnthony Melton, who they liked a lot. Well, the reason they probably gave up Melton rather than a future first-round pick is that even though they like Melton, at the same time, the future first-round pick probably had more value just because... There's greater utility. There's greater ways that it can be used, whereas you never know if Melton might not be a fit or what if he underachieves, those types of things. If you trade a first-round pick, the reason that that's so prohibitive if you're the Rockets is that, well, if you move your 2019 pick, because of the rule that you can't trade multiple future first-round picks in consecutive years, you wouldn't be able to move another first-round pick until 2021 and 2023. Guess what? If a star comes on the market this season or if you have a need to upgrade at the deadline, those are not going to be very attractive that far down the line. So that's why the Rockets kept their picks, because even relative to Melton, those are going to have more value in trade offers this season and maybe even next June before next July's free agency if one of these teams wants to recoup some value and do an opt-in and trade the same way we saw, for example, with Chris Paul a year ago to the Rockets. So for Maury to respond to a question about fine-tuning over the next couple of weeks before training camp and then spin it forward to the season as a whole – it's interesting on a couple of levels. First, it tells you that while things could change, all it takes is one phone call, one text. Right now, Brandon Knight and Marquise Chris, they do have potential roles in Houston. That's what we said leading off. You can see a way that one or both of those guys could crack this rotation, especially under certain circumstances, certain needs, such as Marquise Chris against the more athletic big men that a 36-year-old in A might not be well-suited for, for example. But it doesn't sound like there's another shoe about to drop in terms of Knight or Chris or someone else being moving some other mega deal before the season. Yes, the Rockets could. We don't know, but they might need more defense. They might need a second 3 and D wing on top of James Ennis to replace Trevor Reza and Luke Bamute. We've talked about that ad nauseum this entire offseason. We'll see how it plays out. Doesn't sound like that's going to immediately happen. Sounds like what they have now is largely what they're going to report to training camp with. And they do have, of course, a lot of young prospects as well. Rob Gray, who was there today at the day of service. We also know Isaiah Hartenstein, Joe Chi up front, those types. Vince Edwards, rookie forward out of Purdue. There's also potential minimum signings down the line. Again, I don't know if there's anything with that Corey Brewer picture, but it wouldn't floor me. Again, I don't think the Rockets are going to sign someone just to sign someone. The luxury tax considerations are real. I think they wait until they clearly see a role for a new player before they just sign someone to sign them. That said, you could see a case for one more veteran because these guys like Gray, Hartenstein, Joe Chi, it's tough to really trust them in the moment. Now, of course, you can play them in training camp, and if you have practices during the year, then, yeah, maybe one of those guys can step into a role. But sometimes, like in a playoff series, we saw what happened against the Warriors when the Rockets lost both Luke Bamute and Chris Paul and saw the rotation shrink down all the way to really six and a half, game, six and a half players by game six. And the same could be said for certain stretches of the regular season, like late December when the Rockets lost 
uh, Luke Babute, Chris Paul, Clint Capella all at one time, and there weren't that many off days. There was a long road trip out east the one time the Rockets struggled, and it's tough to integrate new players that don't really know the system that well on the fly without practices. That's where it helps to have a guy like Gerald Green that you can turn to, even though he's not necessarily in the rotation at all times, someone who has been around the block enough, has experienced stuff in the NBA, that you can call on in a pinch and be ready, kind of a foxhole guy, if you will, someone that you trust, even if he doesn't play, to step in immediately if you don't have the time to integrate one of the newcomers. So maybe the Rockets look for one more minimum guy. I don't know if it's Corey Brewer or not. We'll have to stay tuned. But maybe they do that. But if they do, that's a small-time move. In terms of bigger moves, marquee trades, it might come. It's probably not within the next day or two or anything imminent. Although with Joe Morey, knock on wood, as soon as I say that, uh, something could break via Woj or someone else on social media. We all know how that works. But the point is this. There's nothing that I can tell big that is on the immediate horizon. And beyond that, it's okay. It's fair to have questions about this Rockets team. Have they done enough to replace the defense lost with Trevor Reza and Luke Bamute's departures? Does the added offense from someone like Brandon Knight offset that? Those are valid questions, and we'll have to see. But the important thing that Daryl said, and he said this before, is that your roster on October 15th, on December 15th, that's not necessarily what your roster in April is going to be. And it's your roster in April that matters going into the postseason. So you've got the trade deadline. You've got buyout candidates, in which the Rockets will be very well positioned, having saved their mid-level exception by not giving it to Carmelo Anthony or anyone else this summer. So if this doesn't work, it doesn't have to. There are avenues down the line, and that's what Daryl Morey is looking at. And it's important on a lot of levels. It makes it less stressful because if it doesn't work out, it's okay. You do have other avenues. And quite frankly, in terms of trades, it helps his leverage that he's not desperate right now. He's not feeling that he has to, by October 15th, make a deal just to make one because that's when you get taken advantage of in today's NBA with so many sharp GMs. He can be patient. He knows that it's April, not October, that matters. And while he's always open to making a deal, if it's right, again, it could come at any moment, it doesn't sound like anything is going to be imminent before training camp in terms of major moves. And beyond that, as Daryl said eloquently himself, that's okay. It doesn't have to. If there are further needs to get this roster to contending Warriors level, they have until about April 15th to get there. So with that, I will leave off. As always, thanks to you guys, our loyal listeners, for tuning in. Until our next episode, if you want more content, the best place to get it from me is on Twitter. I'm on there, at Ben Dubose, simply my name. The show is on there, at Locked on Rockets. Again, at Ben Dubose, B-E-N-D-U-B-O-S-E, at Locked on Rockets, Locked on Rockets on Twitter. Those are the best places that you can find out what's going on before our next podcast. And if you want to be ready for those next podcasts as soon as they drop, if you haven't subscribed, that's the best way that you can get those episodes immediately. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Megaphone. We're part of a great network of shows across the Lockdown Podcast Network, so the odds are wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find us. Just subscribe, leave us a five-star review. That's how you get episodes right when they come out, and that's how we look attractive to potential advertisers and make the business model work as the most regular podcast covering the Houston Rockets. And beyond that, we've also got some other teams in this area. We've got the Houston Texans covered. They're in the regular season now. My friends Robert Land and Brian Patterson have that covered. And we also have a Locked On Aggies covering the Texas A&M Athletic Department coming very soon as well. So stay tuned for that. Lots of great things happening around the Locked On Podcast Network. And again, you can find them on your platform uh, listening services of choice. Wherever you listen to Locked On Rockets, you can find those other shows as well. 
We've also got a website at LockedOnRockets.com, a Facebook account at Facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, a Gmail account, LockedOnRockets at Gmail.com. All of those are ways that you can not just access our prior content and shows, but also ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, advertising inquiries, anything we can do to make this a better podcast for you, the Die Hard Rockets fan. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. On that, that's where we can leave off. Again, thanks as always for listening, and stay tuned for more episodes and coverage in the days ahead right here at Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast analysis of all things Houston Rockets basketball.